I think this is a really good time to start recording. I do not want it. Oh, okay. Why? I, I, I don't understand. I don't think you're homeless in the forest. I, 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 you're also think, on the bottom step, weirdly. Do you know why that is? Because I'm the most unimportant person here. It's a hierarchy. Oh, shut up. It is. Look, we've got you and we've got the char- we've got Charlie and we've got Sam, the producer. And then I'm below you. At, such is life. I'm happy with my place in life. I am happy to be on my knees before both of you. It's fine. I don't mind. It's OK. Spoken like a true bottom. Midwife episodes drunkenly. I'm Charlie and she's Kim. Hello! Hi and Merry Christmas everybody. I hope you're all out there jingling your bells, hoping that an old man breaks into your house and empties his sack out on the middle of your living room rug. We actually are dressed very festively. Kim is dressed as an elf. Am I? Homelessly wandering in the forest. She's got She's got stripy uh, uh, knickers, knickers, <laughs> stripy Tight. knickers on, and she's got baubles hanging from each nipple. She looks very festive. Thanks, Charlie. I made an effort. I don't make notes, but I make an effort. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And um, Sam has shaved her pews into a Christmas tree. So we've all done our bit for Christmas. I th- Sam, I think they look very nice. They do. I especially like the fact that you've coloured it green. I like the pointiness of it. You've you've used a very good razor. Yeah, it's very sharp. So very fine. So guys, oh, um, what's everybody drinking? Um, English white wine. English white wine. Yeah, it's very tart. Quite like tart. Dear. Mm, I like a bit of tart. I was drinking hot chocolate with Baileys in it. Oh, Christ alive. And let me tell you, it was amazing, but then I ran out, ran out of hot chocolate powder. Okay. So oh, so do you warm the Baileys then and put chocolate no. powder in it? Oh, gather round, children. Let me Ga- tell you Ooh, I'm secret. gathered. I'm put gathering. Milk. I'm gathering. You know, like, if it weren't Christmas, I wouldn't be that fussed about it. But I put the milk in the microwave, two minutes, make sure I've got my big Disney mug with Grumpy the Dwarf on it. Stick it in the microwave for two minutes, make sure the milk's hot. Then you put the Baileys in. And then you put the hot chocolate in. And then you put squirty cream on the top. Right. Nice. Seems like a lot of effort. I'd rather just neck the Baileys, to be honest. It tastes really fucking good. And um, for any American listeners, or no, actually, I mean, I like things sweet. Okay. But uh, for the American listeners and anyone who doesn't call squirty cream squirty cream, um, squirty cream is whipped cream from a can that you squirt onto things. Uh, yeah. 
You're really good at squirting, squirty cream, Kim? No. <laughs> I I always miss fire. Oh. I've heard that about you. Yeah. It, it, I sort of press it and nothing happens. I hate it when that happens, don't you? Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. And then it just sort of... And nothing comes out. I never have that problem. Really? No. Bitch. Good, <laughs> good aim, do you know what I mean? I intend to squirt the cream into the Baileys. Happens every time. Yeah, all right. Fuck off. <laughs> but enough about us and squirting. Um, today, we're talking <laughs> about... <laughs> <laughs> they... oh, oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> Um, today we're t- oh, does anyone else, if anyone has any Christmas, uh, squirting stories they'd like to share, please do leave a review on, um, iTunes podcast. Just label it, I'm a squirter at Christmas, and we'll, um, we'll read it out on the next podcast. I'll very much enjoy it. So, today we're going to be reviewing the episode 4, series 5, and it's another thalidomide episode, so it's a barrel of laughs, because um, that's what you want to talk about at Christmas, isn't it? Thalidomide. So, shall we uh, Shall we press on, Kim? Yeah, let's press something. Okay. So, it opens to a Jenny monologue, it's saying, 1961, the world's changing. The opening scene, uh, Cynthia's pottering about. She does potter, doesn't she? She doesn't really walk with purpose, she potters. There's no purpose, is there? Yeah, there's no purpose for her as a character, and there's no purpose for her in this episode, frankly. Oh, it's very harsh. Very harsh for a Christmas episode. But she's pottering about, and then Trixie's at the docks looking very pensive on her bike, which I think if I'd just done a 13-hour shift cycling all around Poplar, I think I'd look a bit pensive as I sat on that saddle. I'd not look that good if I'd done a 13-hour shift. I mean, basically, I look like Hagrid today, so. <laughs> Their asses must kill. I know we, we've touched upon the bikes before, but then bike seats, I mean, you're going to be saddle sore, aren't you? There's not much give in that, is there, to be fair. There's not much give. And actually, you need if some you're quite gasoline. skinny, <laughs> if you're quite skinny, you haven't got the uh, the chonkiness on your butt cheeks to add for a bit of extra pillowing. Hang on, you haven't got any cushion for the pushing. Yeah, but I'm quite chunky, and my butt is as bony as they come. Is it? Oh yeah. You don't you don't want me to sit on your lap? I'm telling you. So if you go and sit on Santa's lap, yeah, he'd tell you to get off because you've got a bony ass. Yeah, basically. He'd go. No, actually, what he'd probably say is. (laughs) (laughs) Sam's just said like a frog standing up. Basically. Oh, we're being trolled by our uh, producers today. Do you know, guys, what you don't appreciate is a lot of the best lines actually come from Sam. (laughs) Because you don't hear them. We just read them out and pretend they're ours. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't say this. (laughs) Uh, um, Cynthia, it then cuts back to Cynthia. She's cleaning pictures with a piece of bread. Because apparently she read about it in a magazine about how that's a good idea. Yeah, I've seen that on Fake or Fortune as well. Cleaning old oil paintings with a piece of bread. Yeah. Or just spit. 
Wasn't there like a woman who broke into like the Tate Modern and then tried to like correct? She she messed up cleaning a painting and then tried to correct it. Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm sure there was. I'm sure it was really shit as well. Like a stick man underneath this really detailed head. <laughs> Just hoping no one would notice. <laughs> it's a Rembrandt. It's amazing. It's, it's one of his early works. <laughs> He was going through a cubism stage. He didn't <laughs> quite. This was his Lowry stage. Um, uh, apparently, it's um, Sister Hildegard. Um, is that the picture? That's no. That was the Spanish one from the Spanish church. <laughs> you'd be you'd be fired, wouldn't you? I don't. I think if you did that, you'd know. You'd know what was going to happen next. <laughs> Why would you, if you had that level of skill, why would you even attempt it? <laughs> I know, I can fix this. I'll just watch a bit of Bob Ross. I mean, we... I can... <laughs> there, is, there are no accidents, there are no mistakes, there are just happy accidents. But how can you have, how, you, obviously we all, well, actually we don't all know our own level of skill, do we? That's the problem. But if that was your level of artistic accomplishment, why on earth would you do that? Some people lack a, lack a touch of insight. Lack a, lack a. <laughs> That's a good pun for this episode. Lack a. Mm. Apparently... Cynthia's chatting. She say they've got this old sister Hildegard, which I don't think they've ever mentioned before. I don't ever remember them mentioning sister Hildegard. And also, I grew mm. up thinking that Hildegard meant a woman with hairy legs, so I found that a bit odd. I thought Hildegard was a cow. No, like when I was at school, they go, "Oh, she's a Hildegard." And really? It meant the lady had very, but her like hairy legs. I did not know that. Mm. <laughs> I think it's more of a regional thing. Probably, um, like, specific to your road, maybe. Maybe that regional. Extremely regional. <laughs> maybe just my house. Um, <laughs> I also think Cynthia and Julianne's relationship is, like, I think they're desperately trying to make them really close. Like, uh, almost a surrogate Sheila. Yeah, and I don't think they quite imagine it, because I find Bryony Hannah just very... Um, I don't know, there's so much anxiety from this character. It's, she's just like, I always feel like there's barely controlled anxiety in all mm. of Cynthia's scenes. She's always very busy, isn't she, with whatever she's doing? There's not she's a lot very of... busy and very, like, she's just so controlled. Yeah, there's just, I don't know, her hands are always moving or something's always moving. Mm. That kind of displacement activity, which I'd be like, oh, it's stressing me out how stressed you are under the surface. Hmm. Like, put the bread down. Go and chill. No, put yeah. some butter on it and eat it. Be fine. Yeah, be grand. Um, next scene, uh, a woman called Linda stops Trixie in the road and gives her a bag of sweets to take to um, her friend, who I didn't write the name down of, but it's Ian's mum, for anyone oh. who... Yeah. Um, Next in, Ian is mouthing to himself and his mum goes, what are you talking about? You're always mouthing, you are. Mm -hmm. And Ian's like, I'm mouthing Shakespeare, mother, because he's, you know. He's educated. He went to grammar school. He did go to grammar school. Um, 
and the mum says, all oh, the postman will be here in a minute. And then he looks like a serial killer in this shot, bizarrely. I watched it and was like, <laughs> he looks a bit... And he went, just like he will be. And he'll walk past just like he did yesterday. On the day before that. I'm like, are you going to... At first I thought, has he like murdered the postman or something? What's going on? Ooh. I forgot what the plot was. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why is he being so weird? Um... He's putting up a picture of Princess Margaret. Is he? Was it Princess Margaret on the wall? I completely missed that. It's there in a pink dress. I don't know if it's the Queen or Princess Margaret, but apparently his mum likes to collect pictures of the Queen from the newspaper and hang them in picture frames. Okay. And then I was watching this and I was like, this this family's odd. Yeah, very odd. People do that. Uh, My brother used to collect cups with the royal family's faces on. Is that odd? Yeah. I don't know then. I mean, he was, you know, gay and 11, so. At 11 years old, he was collecting (laughs) pictures of the Queen. Yeah. That is very camp. (laughs) That is so camp, isn't it? That's so camp. So camp. Collecting fine china. Um. Trixie arrives to dress the mother's burn. She's got a bad burn on her arm. Never really explained why she's got the burn. It's um, unnecessary. No. They don't need to. It's just a reason for Trixie to be there. It's a superfluous burn. Um, <laughs> Linda, it, the mum basically explained that Linda, who gave Trixie the bag of sweets, and Ian are a couple. Um, but Ian's very distracted, um, even as she's saying, oh, they're together and they love each other. He's like, mm, what? Yes. He's looking out the window. Um Mum also has a really bad cough, but says it's because of her royal picture collection being too dusty. Mm. And then they talk about royal pictures. It's just a very weird scene. I feel like they needed to, like, they were like, right, we need the mum and we need a valid reason why Trixie should be involved. And we need to bring in the son into this so it can't Mm. just be the girlfriend. And then we also need to bring in Linda. And the only way we can do this is royal picture collection stuck to the wall. It's the royal family. The answer is always the royal family. If in doubt, the royal family. That's yep. why she's got issues with her lungs. Too much dust on the royal family pictures. Yep. She's been oh. singing the national anthem and inhaling too deeply over the pictures. And it's when she's she gets to the Rue Britannia. Rue Britannia. <coughs> um, <laughs> uh, Ian then runs back into the room. I didn't even know he'd left. He's like Tracy Barlow in Coronation Street. You know, like when she was younger, she'd come in and go, I'm off upstairs to play with my tips. And then four episodes later, she'd come back down and go, play with my tips. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, like Tracy needs a kidney. Tracy needs fucking acting lessons is what she needs. But Ian returns back into the room and he says, I got in, Mum. I got into Durham. And as a as a viewer, I was underwhelmed. Were you? I was like, good for him. Do you know, I was underwhelmed by the whole episode, to be honest. <laughs> Is that this, bad? No, I wasn't. I was just a bit like, whatevs. Um, so next scene, Sheila's running a mothers and babies class. Mrs. Cottingham arrives um, with like four children, all boys. Um, and she tells them to go and play while she's at the thing. And then they're all discussing whether home birth versus hospital delivery. I also feel like um, they really pushed the hospital delivery, which I find weird because they're community midwives. Mm. But everyone here had to go to hospital. Yeah, because they need to bring some cuthbits in for the storyline. 
again, though, it's quite, I just find it quite transparent. I think in hindsight, there are a lot of things that are transparent. Um, plot devices and manipulations, um, which I perhaps didn't pick up on the first, third, fourth, twentieth time I watched them. We see you, Heidi. We see you. Um, we still love you, though. We still love you. Please don't stop. And if you'd like to come to my traps. if you'd like to come to my thirty seventh birthday in four years' time, then please do. Thank you. Um. So uh, Mrs. Costigan says she's going to have her baby at home as her kids keep her really busy and she couldn't possibly be away for a day because everybody would starve. As a new mum who's very timid and starts questioning all the differences, says, you know, um, I hear they give you gas from the oven and I hear that's very unsafe. I'm not sure how good that is. And then everyone's like, "Ah, is it your first, you idiot? Um, And Sheila sort of reassures them that that's the scene <laughs> yeah mm. next scene ian runs to tom and tom has miraculously been the one to support him in his dreams to join durham university he's paid for his train fare and coached him for his interview yeah the poor vicar that's got no money is giving people money for train journeys where's he got the money for the train journey there's probably some trust we have some trusts that the vicar can just give money from I don't have trust in this storyline. But no, he tells neither. Tom that, that he got into Durham. Um, and then he goes to tell Linda that he's going to go. He's got in and he's doing English lit. Um, in the next scene, Mrs. Cottingham is being checked out by Sister Julianne. Um, and then they have a chat about how she wants to go. <laughs> she was being checked out by me, too. <laughs> but she just says she wants a girl. Um and then Julianne pushes the hospital birth thing again. Like, have you considered going to hospital to give birth? Even though she's literally just said you're a model patient, there's nothing wrong, your health is in perfect order, all your children have been born at home. Like, I don't understand. I understand for the storyline, but it's weird that she's like, have you considered a hospital birth? Yeah, but uh, I think to some extent that. They're setting up the scene that the Nunartans think, oh, hospital birth, it's as good as we provide. It's great. We'll, we'll, the women that will benefit from it will push them towards it because we're, you know, we're benevolent and we are good. And if it's right for them, we will push them towards where they should go. And then that contrasts later when Sister Julianne rocks up to hospital and it's all, well, hang on a minute. Where's the care? Where's the, where's the, where's the consideration for the mother? Mm. I think they're setting up that that contrast a little bit as well. But I also think it's interesting because now most people have their children in hospitals. I would say uh, the majority proportion would give birth in hospital and actually home births are rare. So it's a direct contrast to how it was then when most people were giving birth at home and then going to hospital only when there were severe complications. Now, most people would do that. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's starting to swing back again. More people are like interested in doulas and water baths. They can I off think eat, it was eat, swinging. Like I think it's been swinging back for longer. I think actually COVID's probably hastened it. Maybe I don't know. But it's interesting because it's kind of it was, especially when I was younger. Like everybody, you never, I never heard of anyone 
having a baby at home. It just wasn't done. But like in the 60s and 70s, it was kind of normal. So there was this big and I feel like it's going back there. More people want to give birth at home where they're more comfortable and they're in their own surroundings and they've got their own shit. And like, do you know what I mean? Whereas literally, literally, whereas the very sterile hospital isn't isn't as appealing because people are much more. I don't know. I mean, if it, if it comes if it comes down to me ruining your bed or my carpet, I'm going to go with your bed, hospital. I don't know. If I was pregnant, I think I'd want to give birth at home. No, if there's going to be juice on anything, it's going to be on a hospital trolley. Thanks. Just you get know. a rubber Come sheet. On. No, I don't want a rubber sheet. Put some newspaper under the mattress. Save I it. Don't, I don't want to be on my couch watching. I don't know the next season of Line of Duty, and I don't want to be smelling ambiotic fluid for for the rest of my life. Febreze, mate. It's not strong enough. I'm sure. Does amniotic fluid smell that bad? I've got no idea. I've never smelt it. I can't imagine it's that bad. Guys, if anybody out there has got any amniotic fluid that they want me to smell, let me know. Get in touch. We'll do a whole podcast if you, on it. If you yourself have given birth, did you did you take the opportunity to sniff your amniotic fluid? If you did, do let us know in the comments. Please title it, My Amniotic Fluid Smelled Grand. <laughs> or, let, let's not shame. It might not have smelled grand. We don't know. Let's not assume. Yeah, we we won't assume the smell of your amniotic fluid. Maybe it's anyway. Maybe it's like diet specific. I don't know. Maybe like if you ate a lot of like pineapple. pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would it make it smell sweeter? I don't know. Um, make it taste like ham and pineapple pizza. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene. Ian's and Ian and Linda are standing looking at the Thames. Ian's very excited about Durham and um, Linda isn't. Um, Ian then recites, um, I think it's like part two of Lady of Shalott. There's five parts, isn't there, to the poem? Yeah. Um, it's not the part I'm familiar with, I'll be honest with you. No, what are you more familiar when she dies? No, the mirror cracked from side to side and then the curse came upon me, said the Lady of Shalott. Something like that, is it? Yeah, but I only, I only know it from Miss Marple. I only know it from Miss Marple. No, I think. It's all because like Lady of Shalott is all about this woman who is cursed to stay and she has to sit and weave and look, look upon Camelot from afar. Yeah. And then she sees all these people going past towards Camelot and she has to stay in Shalott. She can't leave. And and um, one day she sees Lancelot going past and she stops weaving to look at him and the curse breaks because she tries to escape. And then um, she is on a boat and her corpse is floating all the way down to Lance, to um, Camelot. It's not that cheerful, really, but um, he's still really. romantic, still romantic, isn't it? Um, mm. So uh, she says, oh, it's all about rivers. And he goes, in about that river, you know, this is about Camelot. And she goes, well, I'm pregnant. So Linda's now pregnant and his dreams are over. And, Ooh, what um, year is this as well? What year 1961. Is it? Oh, that's interesting then, isn't it? Because wasn't is wasn't Kennedy Prime Minister here then? And wasn't his White House called Camelot as well? Was it? Or New Camelot? Wasn't it supposed to be like that? Looking to the resident American in the room? No, we don't know. Somebody'll tell us. I hope they kept ravens. We have ravens. 
Yeah, because if the ravens fly, then Camelot falls. Also, if you dig up Bran's head, the giant, on the outskirts of London, the uh, city will also fall. Bran from um, that show I don't watch that I can't remember the name of that's no, very popular. No, it's not from Game of Shows. Game of Shows? Game of Thrones. Okay. Um, yeah, there's this whole myth that like there's a giant's head outside London, and if they ever dig it up, the city will fall. And so will Britain. Yeah, that's big, probably because the head is so big, it'll undermine the foundations. Yeah, probably. It's probably the only thing that's keeping the sewer system going. Yeah. It's probably propping up a couple of pipes. Um, but yeah, so Linda's pregnant. Yay! And, uh, oh, no, no, it's not good. No. It's not good. And uh, so the next scene is Ian running away, physically running away from her. Because mm. that's what you want to hit, see from a bloke you've just told has got you pregnant in the 60s. Him physically legging it away at speed. Um, Linda follows it and she says, you know, you said you loved me that when we did it. You said that you loved me. Ah, we've That's bad. That's not good. It's not good, is it? And he's like, I do love you. It's not enough to give up my dreams, which... Oh, I mean, it's all it's all very awkward, isn't it? Like, if this in this modern time, I don't think they'd have continued on, to be honest. Um, but they love each other. No, you'd be like, you know what? Fuck off, man, child. Um, but they decide to keep going. They have a hug in the street, so that's fine. In the next scene, Cynthia and Julian are in the clinic. Um, again, there's these small little scenes between these where they're really trying to force this angle that they have like a strong mother-daughter-esque vibe, mm. which I suppose is building up to what happens to Cynthia, isn't it? Well, that's coming soon, isn't it? Mm. No spoilers, people. No spoilers. No, don't spoil it. Um, Julian, uh, Cynthia takes the phone and it's a phone call from St. Cuthbert's where they ask for support. And the scene after that is a dinner scene. Everyone's in there. Julian explains that she's agreed to go to St. Cuthbert's to support them for a week. And everyone's really weary. It's like they don't think Julian can do the job, mm. which is a bit weird because Julian's quite an accomplished midwife. So I don't understand why they all. Well, it, it could be that they feel she's perhaps been behind a desk a little bit too long. Maybe she doesn't get out into the real world much, does she, to be fair? I know they touch upon that in kind of later series, don't they? Because Julianne has that episode where she wanders out and pretends not to be a nun. Bit Prince and the Pauper vibe. Oh. Do you remember that episode? Yeah. No. <clears throat> so. <laughs> anyway. Also, Pat, I like that Patsy offers because apparently their cleanliness race seems amazing. And I'd really like to go there because of all the cleaning products. Does um, Delia work at St Cuthbert's? No, she works at the London. Okay, I don't get Nail the surgical. angle then. I don't get the angle then. I don't the, understand well, what the angle is. Me. She likes the cleaning. Oh, she's such a square. <laughs> she's not. No. She is. She absolutely is. I love her. Um, Julian then asked Cynthia if she can sort out this year's Hildegard event. Um and Monica Joan briefly feels snubbed, but Cynthia saves the day by saying that they'll work on it together in love. And, um, and the scene ends. I'm just a bit like, I just, I find those kind of things a bit. Uh, the next scene is a Patsy and Delia scene. Um, they're chilling out on the steps together of an artist. Yeah. They've both got the pins out. 
Um, and Delia's well excited because La Dolce Vita is coming out, and apparently she's been waiting oh, for it for a year. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Patsy's like, yep. So Delia's going, I've been talking about this for a whole year. A whole year I've been talking about this. I've been so excited. I've been following in all the magazines. And I'm like, didn't you have like a brain injury and forget everything <laughs> three months ago? Haven't you just come back? But you, so you forgot Patsy and that you're a lesbian, but you remembered La Dolce Vita. Well, Anita Rettberg is very memorable. I mean, frankly, who wouldn't remember those boobs? Um, and Patsy's like, well, I I have agreed for 12 months straight that I will go with you. OK, you, but the, the actual storyline, you guys have. What? I was a bit like, I don't buy it. It's very mm. sweet. but It is. And frankly, if I'm ever going to be motivated, I want to be motivated by Anita Ekberg. And in fact, that Delia is kind of like, come on, you want to see Anita Ekberg um, in that show as well, which I think is quite cute. Because it kind of it, does that mean that Patsy at some point has gone? She's fit. I would. I can you imagine Patsy saying that though? I can imagine Delia yeah. saying that. Can't imagine Patsy saying that. I don't know though. Like you can usually tell if someone fancies like a celebrity because they tend to watch all their shows. Yeah. Mm, okay. And it's a bit of like relationship teasing, isn't it? It's quite a common bit. One like she fancies. Do you want to watch this? You fancy that one, don't you? Ooh. Oh, <laughs> look at those. Yeah. Don't they look lovely? <laughs> Sorry, Sam has just posted as a picture of Anita Ekberg's boobs. And they do Not look... Anita Ekberg's, but... They look marvellous. Um... I mean, I mean, I'm sure she's very intelligent and very nice and has a winning I think she's got a lovely pair of eyes. Um, but her boobs are stunning. Yeah. I'm Can not just... really into boobs. Are you a boob what? person? I'm more, well... I'm more arse than boobs. I am... I like my hands... I mean, they take both, to be honest. I like... like I'm not... I like my hands on a nice arse and I like my face in a nice boob. No, I think bum. I'm not that fussed about boobs. I quite like little boobs. Oh, no, I'm not saying I like big ones. I'm just saying I, I like nice quite, ones. I find them quite fascinating. <laughs> you find small boobs fascinating? Yeah, because mine are massive. I'm always like, look at that. You can't even hold a pencil case. Oh, that yeah. That amazing. Size is not the... Um, <laughs> Size size does not make them nice to me. No. Um, size is whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It's the... Um, I think it's the way they're carried I quite like. Yes, you need to be able to carry your boobs with pizzazz. Yes, I like but a bit a of nice pizzazz. It's just nice. Well, thank you very much. I feel like me and my bony ass that's wide <laughs> but flat are being called out right now. I just think we're going to have to call the wedding off, Kim. Well, there we go. I'm gutted. So Moving uh, on. After everything you said under the waterfall, we're just going to have to move on. The discussion it, was, it was a fountain. If you can't even fucking remember <laughs> that it was a fountain, then we're doomed from the start, aren't we? I've had a lot of, lot of Diet Coke and raspberry vodka. I can't, can't be expected to remember every little detail. There's a lot of water. I thought you'd... <laughs> that wasn't reason... water, Charlie. That was not water. <laughs> For some reason, squirty cream's coming back in my head. I can't quite. 
I I squirted for you and <laughs> and now and, and you thought it was a fountain. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, that never happened, by the way, for the purposes of the podcast, just in case anyone's like... For the purposes of Charlie's life and my life, that did not happen. (laughs) It really didn't. Anyway, um, so Trixie then turns up. Oh, Dee also been, like, checking on Patsy's roast, roaster. Yeah. And Patsy's a bit taken aback that Dee has, like, been quite efficient and found out when she's off. Which Why? is a bit like, mate, you're married. Yeah, they are married. Why wouldn't your wife know? I feel like Patsy's a bit like, uh, how how do you know? Have you been checking up on me? So I'll take you to the t- the cinema. Yes, Patsy. That's exactly what she's done. She's just enterprising. She is. She knows what she wants and she's gone out to get it. Trixie then turns up and starts saying that uh, Nita Eckberg's tits are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Which... I don't think she said that, did she? She says, look at that brassiere. Her breasts look amazing. I could just smash my face in there and die happily. Can we just pause at that thought? That's that's in the uh, BBC iPlayer version for anyone. Yeah. I, the Netflix suits cut no, out. Charlie, stop talking for a sec. I have a question. Oh, hello. So, no, just uh, really curious. What do you guys think... Um, Patsy and Delia, 1950s Patsy and Delia's dream woman would be. Obviously, if Patsy's kind of daydreaming over, um, what's her name? Anita. Um, I don't know. Do you think she's, she would like be into women like that who dress like that? Cause I feel like Patsy's kind of got that sort of style. And same with Delia. Well, Anita Eggberg is as far from Delia as you can get. Yeah. So, so I don't know that. I feel like Delia's Patsy's probably a, a little bit more femme than Patsy is. I think, obviously, in the time, they both have to wear dresses. They both have to wear the uniforms, which are quite frilly and very feminine. But I feel like if you look at what Patsy wears in her time out, she wears a lot of shirts. She wears slacks, which weren't really the norm at the time, whereas Delia's always wearing a cocktail dress. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at their body language and the way they carry themselves I would say the opposite was true I would say Patsy was more femme I don't know I don't think femme and butch necessarily mean I think like in the in the way they dress I think Patsy dresses more masculine she tends to wear more masculine type clothes but I think Dee is a top oh oh so hang on I need to get my concepts correct here now. So I think in we've, terms we've of the got bedrooms, tops and bottoms, think, and we've got femmes and butchers, and, and they're got, not always mutually exclusive. Yeah. Sometimes the person with short hair likes to be the bottom, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's valid as fuck. And we've got yeah, hair cuts. We've got. And we've got <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in the bedroom, Delia is the train, and Patsy is the tunnel. Right. I think I'm really? with you. Yeah. I, I don't I think I agree. What yeah. do you reckon? Yeah. What do you reckon? The other way around? Come on, Sam. No, I'm thinking. Um, hard to say. It's just, I feel like, like the, like, I've been writing fan fiction for these two for a couple of years now. Sadly, uh, this is like my only hobby. 
but um, <laughs> it's not sadly for us. It's not sadly yeah, for know. us. <laughs> no, well, I'm thinking like you know, as as I've like progressed and like I guess studied these characters a little more, I think Patsy would probably be um, a completely 100% lesbian who just is not into penetration at all. So more kind of like Stone Butch. No, st- uh, she still gets pleasure from being touched. So I don't think she's stoned. She just doesn't want to be penetrated. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So Dilly, on the other hand, I don't, I think she could go, you know, I think she's, she'd be open to a lot of things. Maybe. Um, 19, I don't know. I like, there's really, there's only so much I can imagine, uh, uh, you know, a gay person from the 1950s knowing like everything that I, that there's no, there's no internet. There's no literature really. Um, everything that they're doing, they're probably figuring out by themselves mm-hmm. um yeah probably not talking to friends about it and even if they did it'd probably again be very limited to their friends experiences so um but yeah i definitely agree that it's probably behind closed doors delia is more the one being like you know come hither and touch me here yeah 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 but, like like just taking patsy's hand and like shoving it under her dress and then patsy will take it from there i don't know I think Patsy I don't know. I feel like, like like the encouragement. Dee Dee is probably the one to be more likely to explore stuff and to be more. I just feel like she'd be more confident to try things, whereas I feel Patsy would have to be talked into stuff or told yeah. stuff, and then you'd have to leave her to have a think about it, and then yeah. maybe try it in six months. Mm-hmm. Patience is the key. Sowing the seeds is the key with Patsy. Yeah, you got to sow the seeds and leave her to it. And then she's got to imagine it and decide that she wants it. And then mm-hmm. it'll happen. Which has always made me kind of think Delia is the top. I don't know why, but I feel like Delia, Delia is the one that drives this relationship forward. If Patsy was left to just deal with stuff, nothing would ever happen. Like they would never have got a flat. Dealey wouldn't still be living in an art, wouldn't be living in an artist. Now, I don't think they'd have had a physical relationship. I think Patsy is very passive in that sense. And she'll just kind of be like, this is great. Let's do this forever. And Delia's like, no, we still, there's other things we need to do. Yeah, I definitely agree that D- Patsy probably does need to be told what needs to, like, should be done. And Delia is probably the one that facilitate at least like moving forward and, and, that regard like moving in and anything that they do behind closed doors in the bedroom but i think patsy cares enough about Dealey's pleasure where you're right like she will probably you know Dealey will probably present something and patsy will think it over and be like you know what okay if if that's what you want to try do let's just try it see if we like it so hmm. but in terms of like types i feel like patsy would go for more feminine i feel like delia dresses a lot more but would she not go for trixie then though well it's funny you should say that because in another timeline (laughs) i have a theory (laughs) oh you and your theories i had a theory that they were supposed to get together once delia got hit by the milk float that was my theory (laughs) then they decided to make trixie an alcoholic instead which you could hear in a previous podcast you can you might you not can. want to, but you can. <laughs> I'm just saying, I reckon that that could have been a thing before they changed their mind. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're not sold, are you? I don't know. Oh, wow. 
Sam. <laughs> you can't say that, then disappear. I know. So, um, Patsy then invites Trixie to go to the cinema because she's an idiot. And then Delia has to, is sitting there and just gives her this look like, this was our date night and you've just invited a friend. And they, they, it's really like married. There's a married, there's a married couple couple look, isn't there? It's because Patsy's like, yeah, absolutely. And then she looks at Delia and she's like, her face falls and she looks very like contrite immediately. Mm. And it's like, married. Um, this was supposed to be us, babe. We were supposed to go. We were supposed to get it on after. And now you've invited everybody else. Yeah. And then Barbara arrives because she's put a load of lard on her legs because that's healthy. Um, and Delia kind of sarcastically <laughs> invites Barbara to because she's absolutely fuming. So she's like, all right, if you're going to invite people, then I'm going to make you pay and I'm going to invite everybody. Yeah. We're going to have a whole Sharaban going. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Patsy kind of bites her lip and looks a bit worried because she knows she's pissed her off. <laughs> yes. She's like, oh, oh dear. Um, they Barbara, look really good in that scene, though, don't they? Sort they of look really happy. And, yeah, they do. It's it, it's nice, isn't it? Because mm. the, you don't. It's nice to be able to see them quite coupley. Yeah, we don't see that very often. No, this is the kitchen scene as well in this episode. Yeah, of course. And um, so yes, Barbara says, "Thank you, she... Sam, for that that interlude. Thank you." <laughs> Barbara they were then... definitely going to fuck in the theatre. Not in the theatre with people handing out chalk ices and maybe they were going to fuck with the, the chalk ice. So Barbara says um, that she's going to have to wait and see to see if she can agree to come. Um, because she might have other plans. Trixie, who has gone into like her dead depressive stare, goes, Oh, why might you not want to go, Barbara? Um, and Barbara lies and says she's got a cousin who's come in and that's why she can't go. And Trixie says, Hmm, and sort of makes an excuse, stands up and walks away. And Barbara sighs and there's tension between the two of them because obviously Trixie knows and Barbara knows. knows that Trixie knows that. And then Trixie knows that Barbara knows that she knows it's the, they're not talking about it. It's their Rumsfeld moment. It is. It's not a good moment. No. Next scene, Julian arrives at the hospital where um, a Celeti woman is giving birth. Um, the midwife is a bit of a twat and um, <laughs> gives her like no handover and is like, here she is. She's about to, she's only like eight months. She'll be fine. I'm off for my break. Unless they're crowning, we think it's important to take breaks. Um, In a hospital setting, there's a lot more structure because Mm. you work within a team. Whereas if you work in the community, you're much more likely to loan work. And therefore, there's a greater autonomy on your own timekeeping. So if you're a loan worker, you you can outpace your own day and you know how things are going to be structured. And you can go, oh, well, I'll, I'll grab 10 minutes or something in between. If you're in a team, you have to rely on others. And because you have to rely on others, there's more structure imposed to make sure it's all regulated and worked. So this woman just buggers off for her break, which is quite common in hospitals. Although now no one gets breaks. Um, Hmm. Next scene, Ian has told his mum that Linda's in the pudding club. Linda's (laughs) crying 
Um, and his mum says, well, you've got to marry her now. You've got to marry Linda and you've got to give up your dreams. and You have to give up university and you have to give up everything that you value because you, you shagged this girl and now she's pregnant. And um, it's all very sad. It is sad. I kind of don't understand why they can't have both. I don't think he because she's he won't be able to support her if he's in education, is Willie? Because there's no grants. Well, yeah, there were grants at that stage. And I'm assuming that he's got a scholarship of some sort. But I don't. Mm, okay, perhaps it's no, my naivety, no. but I don't understand why they can't have both. I really don't. It's a weird one, isn't it? It's like. It is. I don't know. Would he feel, be able to, would he be able to like, focus on his studies if he was at university every day with a newborn baby? Well, no, I, I envision him going off to uni and then staying there, but him being married to her. But he can't provide for her and she can't stay in the family home if she's got a kid. But he, she would move in with his mum. Her dad would help. His mum would help. She would help around the house. I, 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 I don't, I don't see why it couldn't work. In that think, community at that time, I don't see why it couldn't work. No, I feel like they were kind of straining and forcing a conflict. Mm, that's how I felt. But I felt like this whole episode was a bit contrived, if I'm being honest. It did feel all very forced. Even down to all the quotes, you know, just to show us how wonderfully erudite and able to recall obscure pieces of poetry he is. It's like, fuck off. Yeah, it's a bit. I found him to be a bit twattish, to be honest. Mm. Like he, I think if if you like, maybe it's because he's intelligent. He's not practical. I don't know, but it was almost like he was a wounded warrior, and he was like, oh, you know. But he, if he's that educated, surely he knows if you have unprotected sex, there is a risk of a child. And you don't tell a woman that you love her when you don't, just so that you can get your end away. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I am saying that... It know, happens. It's not right, but it happens. It does. But it? if it happens and you did it, you've got to live with the consequences, mate. And you he's can't... very whiny. Like, he's very oh, like... He's so oh, so whiny. I could work I think... the BBC. I could, I could change the world. I could, I could make this. TV shows could, about poetry. I could change the world with my TV shows. I just On found poetry. Oh my god! I just found I just did not. I didn't take to it at all. I did and not find bits. him likable. No, I didn't. Iota. And there were a few bits where I was really pissed off hmm. because it was so patriarchal. Um, hmm. Next scene: Julian's delivering Jamila, which is the mother's baby. Um, she's giving her a cup of tea and kind of walking her around the room as you know she would. The midwife then returns and is like tea in the delivery suite absolutely not and she (laughs) has to lie down which is a really fucking weird thing because women never used to lie down when they were giving birth it only became a practice because queen victoria lay down to give birth and then it became like it trickled down it became the thing to do when giving birth well lots of things trickle down when you're giving birth but what was the original uh way to give birth squat down Squat down. Yeah. In really? 
Yeah, it's like if you need a poo, you need to put your legs to a 90 degree angle. Usually put a stool near the toilet and put your feet on the stool and you'll poo so much better. It's kind of similar with giving birth. Like it's all angles and making sure that the neck of the womb and the cervix and everything. That's the best. Like go on all fours and pant and it'll ease the birth, supposedly. Oh, I'm not going to pant a shit out, though. I don't know, but that is, and then, you know, they told, and actually lying down makes it harder because the way the pelvis and the cervix are, if you imagine like a pinball, if you're going to angle it like that, the cervix is like a V shape and the baby gets kind of stuck there. Whereas if you angle it like that, it helps it come out. Gravity supports it more. And actually now, if you ever watch stuff like One Born Every Minute, they're all on all fours. Are they? Yeah, it's actually really lying on your. It's true. Sam's just said lying on your back is really bad. It is like it's good to get pregnant, but not helpful at the end of the process. I, I'll be honest. <laughs> if I'm going to get a girl pregnant, I'm not entirely sure that I want to do it with her on a back. What position would you, for preference? I'd quite like to be straddled. If I if I'm going to get a girl pregnant, that's my preference. I'm not saying it's possible. I'm just saying that if, you know, I have a breath, you know. Right. So she. I know my limitations. <laughs> um, God, I've lost my page. <laughs> I've um, lost the plot. <laughs> but yeah, this midwife comes in and she's all like, she needs to lie down and she needs to do this. And this is kind of like. It's the holistic model versus the medical model. So the medical model says that there's this generic rule for everybody and this is how it should be done. And the holistic model goes, right, this is the individual. This is their preferences, their thought processes, their religious or their spiritual needs and how do they want it and all of that. And I'd say the Nanatans, they are very holistic, whereas what they're showing is this very rigid medical model, which is it's just not what people want now well i think the contrast is that the nortons have built knowledge up and a way of practicing that's been built up through experience mm-hmm. whereas the hospital setting has been decided on a committee by a committee of men yeah based which on whatever budget they had that week and i think that's the difference a huge difference and also like there's just a lack of touch with the actual patient group because this woman comes in, she gives birth, and then she goes to the postnatal area where the midwives never see her again. So they literally see her while she gives birth. They don't do any follow-up care. They don't do anything. And then when they go into the community, the community midwives are the ones that do the follow-up care. So it's actually really fragmented and the communication is really poor, which makes them out of touch with the patients. So this woman's like, these Indian women, they freak out if a man comes in. And, um, and you know, Julianne's like, well, actually, she's Saleti. And they're very modest because that's their culture. And there's almost that very obvious difference when they're talking in their language choices. <sighs> scene after this, Ian visits Tom. That's the scene. Jamila then gives birth to a little boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the whole scene. He that's just stops at the door and scene. goes, all right, Tom. All right, Tom. You're right, me old mucker. How you doing, sunshine? I've got something to tell you. Um, I fucked a girl and she's pregnant she's up the duff and my life's over bun in the oven 
So Jamila then gives birth to a little boy. Um, and they don't let the mum hold the baby. Julianne's practices, you know, she's reassuring the mum, but the mum clearly wants to hold her. I feel like if I had, like, pushed and done all that work to give birth, I'd quite want to look at the baby that I just made. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't respond too well. If not until it's take... clean. To be actually fair, a lot of the teaching now is you're not supposed to take the baby away from the mum. especially. Well, like they put it straight on the chest, don't they, now? But, like, newborn, new mums are feral. Like, you don't take that baby away from the mum because she will... She will kill you. Yeah. She'll gouge your eyes out to get to the baby. Like, don't take a baby away from a new mum because that's her baby and they they don't like it. It's bad for business. Bad for business. Um, Next scene, Linda is waiting for her dad at the factory. And the dad's like, come on, I'll go and buy you a 99. And she's like, no, dad, I need you to come with me. Because I'm pregnant. Oh, God. The scene immediately after that, the dad has uh, Ian by the neck and is threatening to batter him if he doesn't marry his daughter. Um, Hmm. uh, And this was weird. It was a weird scene because he's like, you are going to do the right thing by my daughter and you are going to marry her. And then Tom's mediating and he's like, come on, let's sit at the table and talk about this. And the dad sits at the table and Tom sits at the table and Ian sits at the table Linda and the mum don't sit at the table. They stand at the back of the room. Because it's not their decision. It's, it's the men who's going to decide it. Like, Tom is there to mediate between the dad and Ian. But it's this woman, Linda, who's actually pregnant and who should have autonomy about the choices that she's making. And she's well, absolutely no. cut out of this cho- this discussion. Wrong era, Charlie. Wrong era. Oh, I don't think I'd have made it in the 60s. I think I'd have... Um, yeah, I'd have, I'd have killed my way out of it. I don't think I'd have been pregnant, though. Mm-mm. No. I'd been down gateways as soon as I could. Yep. Locking some girl up <laughs> by the jukebox. What, with her on top of you? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I'm easy. He then, Ian, sits at the table and he's basically like, I want to go to university. I could teach. I could work for the BBC. I could change the world. It's And it's a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of I, but not a lot of we or really considerations for anybody else. I don't like him, I'll be honest. I think she's better off without him. I think she needs to sack him off and go and find a better lad. Yeah. Um. It's back in an artist. It's night time. Patsy gets back. Um, and Delia has waited up for it. So cute. Oh, this scene. Is this one of the scenes that's cut from the American version of Netflix? No, it's in it. Oh, Sam what, says it's in scene? it. Oh, that's good then. Um, wow, I'm surprised. But Delia, like, so Patsy comes in and she calls to her. And she goes, you waited up for me. And Patsy kind of gets all soft and it's really sweet. And um, Patsy says, you know, my whole life, I have never had anybody wait up for me ever. And um, Delia says, uh, bet you've never had anyone make you a bon vita with a Johnny Walker in it. And then they both look at the door to check that nobody's coming in. Like they both, Patsy kind of worries and she looks. And then Delia pushes her against a counter. Yeah, that's quite, I mean, I'd quite like to be pushed up against a counter, quite frankly. It's definitely like. This is why I think Delia's a top, because Delia, like, Patsy kind of just lets her get on with it, and I'm like... I, 
Yeah. I, mm, okay. I just think there's a lot of big dick energy going on. I think it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. Ooh. <clears throat> okay. I could go with that, Sam. Is there a fic where someone's finished that scene off? I finished it off in my head. No, Has sorry, I, I wrong words. I finished off in my head to that scene. Oh. It does need to be done, Sam. It does. Squad, assemble. Come on. <laughs> Squad, assemble. <laughs> All the writers in the fandom, we want to see your variations on how that scene really ended. That could be the new series. Everybody that, has to complete that scene. Easter series. Just <laughs> everyone has just that scene though. They have yep. to finish it off. It'd be interesting to see how everybody's version's different. And I will rate them by how many orgasms I have masturbating to them. Delia then says <laughs> Do you know I was going to in your hair and run my fingers through it, but you've gone so mad with the lacquer I could pull out every Kirby grip and it wouldn't budge. And it's just so cute. It's like the touching, the eye contact, the touching. Like Delia is literally rubbing her down. Yeah, but do you not feel a little bit like the humour um distracted from the sexuality of the scene though? I feel like that was a, a writer's choice to some extent. I mean, possibly, but I also think like a couple that's been together for a while, there probably would be that humour. Yeah, but there wouldn't be that humour with that lack of contact, though. She would actually run her hands through her hair and do that at that point. Surely, if you're a couple. But she did. She was like stroking her fringe and tucking her hair behind her ear and all of that stuff. Yeah, no, I'd have to, I, I'd have the Kirby grips out. Also, I think as well, like, I don't know how comfortable the actresses were. I don't think they're comfortable at all, to be honest. Like, you know, the scene in later episodes where um, they're lying on the bed together. Oh, like, my God. The plank of be... wood scene. <laughs> the plank be... of wood. Like, come on, ladies. You both sat on a bed before. Is it, Are you sleeping on a coffin? Why, like, they're literally so rigid. I don't know how comfortable they are with acting in that way. So I don't know if that had an impact on the scenes and what they were willing to do, which is fair enough. Like, <sighs> the fans are so feral. I can see why maybe they didn't want to go too, too much. And also it's about, like, I suppose... For us, it's not that bizarre, but then again, we are lesbians, so it's quite normal for us. Speak for yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. And bisexuals. I would never forget the bi sisters. You are straight. We have straight allies. We do. We love you, allies. We love the pans. We love the trans. Mm. If we've forgotten you from the alphabet, we love you too. Valid as fuck, kids. Unless you're a turf, we hate you. You can fuck off. Um, I also think, like, in lesbian romances, touching's a big deal. Like, you know, Gentleman Jack and, like, the hand-holding and, like, stroking someone's arm. That's, like, very big in lesbian romance. I feel like it's a sort of foreplay, though, isn't it? It's all, there's a lot of focus on hands. 
for obvious yeah. reasons. And I suppose it doesn't well, translate the, to because heterosexual ones because they'd have to like whip out their dick. Yeah, exactly. on there, which would make it less sexy. Which is which in itself is you know a little bit unimaginative. It is. But I, yeah, like I think the hand holding and the touching and like looking at somebody's hands, it's all, it's obviously, a, that's why that is, isn't it? We've got tongues, you know. We do. But I feel like that would be quite obvious. More obvious than a hand and a finger stroking a, like a, like a, a fruit or something. Like a, yeah, like a half-cut orange in a in a period drama. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, like, you could touch someone's hands in quite, like, a chast way. It's not like somebody's, like, putting two fingers and the other person's making a circle between their thumb and their, and like, standing there. That that would be different. That would be less subtle. So if I, tu- if I turned up <laughs> a period drama and just went like that, <laughs> that wouldn't be subtle. <laughs> or just got their cheek and went... That would also not be very subtle. You have to remember how often did how often did people touch at all, other than shaking their hand when they're greeted. I don't know. In this time period, like forehead mm. kisses between men and hugs between fathers and friends and stuff like that, and like friend girlfriends that you know they have. An, I, don't, I don't think they would necessarily touch staff. I feel like the Nanatans and all of them they're all quite chummy. But, you know, Delia has literally pushed her against the hard surface and is, like, rubbing her well, chest. So I feel like it's not that chest. She didn't rub her chest. She did. She didn't. She ran her arm, she ran her fingers up her arm and along her collarbone. And that was it. That was, that was, that was, that was, as, that was as, as erotic as that got. I don't know. I feel like, sexy. like, yeah. Yeah. Have you, like, if you are with someone, you are you desire and they run their finger up your arm that's like I've never explosions had it. in your brain i'm just okay well try it sometime and you'll understand i've not had sex i don't even know what we're talking about <laughs> what's an orgasm where's my clit sam will you show me where my clit is <laughs> crack out a google diagram <laughs> google it google it I've been I've I've been looking for it for thirty years. <laughs> I've not found it. You gotta look for the hood. This is a very basic diagram. <laughs> You're like the lady from the Titanic. It's been thirty years. <laughs> there. <laughs> uh, for the purposes of the podcast I've just drawn a vagina. Oh yeah, look at it. Very mature. Um it looks like a cave. <laughs> looks like a very narrow cave with a seagull sitting on top. <laughs> like the Velvet Tardis. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's <laughs> a very... <laughs> Barbara then sees Tom in the street and she tells Tom that Trixie knows and um, Tom's like, okay. And he's quite... He's still a dick. Like, Tom is just, he doesn't tolerate women questioning him. Even, you know, Barbara's sort of seeking something here. And Tom's, but Tom basically says that he's also struggling with the fact that he's split up with Trixie. And Barbara f- cries. 
Mm. And, you know, she says, you know, if you're struggling, then, you know, you've, you've told me all I need to know and perhaps we shouldn't be together anymore. Trixie sees them because they're in the middle of the fucking street. Um, and she kind of goes, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Barbara. And then stalks but, off, but is upset. But there was no affection from Tom here towards Barbara, not even a, a rubbing of the arm. No, none. So, so I've just criticised the previous scene for its lack of perhaps affection. And in this scene, we're, there are two characters that are clearly falling in love as much as anyone else is in this show. And there's no affection or affectionate touches between them at all. I think Tom loved Trixie because she represented more of the kind of woman that he would go for if he wasn't a priest. Trixie is, you know, she's fun-loving, she's an extrovert, she likes all of this stuff. And I think he understood her i think Trixie, but i don't think he could accept her I, well potentially i think there's some truth in that i think trixie is almost i think the girl that got away well i think people get trixie wrong don't they they people think trixie's the fun loving the easy girl you know you can have a great time with her um, and it'll be wonderful. Whereas actually Trixie's far deeper than that. And yeah. I think that he fell in love with the, well, perhaps that's unfair on him, but I think he fell in love with the ideal rather than the actual Trixie, if that makes sense. And also Trixie's modern and Trixie yep. wanted modern things and she wasn't going to be the perfect vicar's wife and she wasn't going to adhere to what he wanted. And it's kind of like that whole, he just wanted to fuck her. He wanted to marry her so he could fuck her. Yeah. Let's not put too fine a point on it. I Whereas think with Barbara. Barbara yeah, is sen- Barbara the sensible is, choice. I don't necessarily say that she's the sensible choice. I think she's the one that we've all got a fantasy that we know will never happen. Um, Whatever it is um, out there. Perfect. Whatever. That I think. Um, Tom thought he found that in Trixie um, but actually the reality of it is that it just wouldn't work whereas no. Barbara on so many different levels I th- I think Tom loves Barbara much more than he ever loved Trixie I, I sort of doubt whether Tom actually did love Trixie to some extent, I think it was very lustful and very superficial yeah I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's a man. We, he, men, women, we all have sexual urges that are more than just, you know, you, you don't want to have sex with people that you're in love with all the time. You know, you, sometimes you just want to fuck someone. Do you know? Yeah. But in that era, he couldn't do that. He had to marry someone before he could fuck them. It's a shitter, isn't it? It is a shitter. Um... Trixie sees him and goes off crying. Barbara's crying in the street. Tom's doing nothing about either issue. He's managing things very poorly. Phyllis then turns up and because she's the real MVP, she's like, oh, Barbara, um, someone's about to give birth. I need you to come with me. I've taxed us a flask of tea and some sandwiches. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barbara's crying. She's like, oh, you must have hay fever. And it just, oh, and She's such a good person. I love Phyllis. Yeah, Phyllis is, she gets it. She knows. She's a boss. Yeah. Next scene, Dr. Turner is testing Ian's mum because he, she, he reckons she's got emphysema with the cough. 
again, I don't really see the point. Um, and she says, well, I've got to work. I've got to go work down the paint factory like everybody else on this street. And um, he says, you don't need to work anymore. You have a strapping young son who can provide for you. And Ian's outside and obviously very upset that there's another thing that he's going to have to make, take some responsibility for. It's a stressful time for Ian. Um, <clears throat> next scene, Babs and Phyllis are delivering Mrs. Cottingham's baby. Um, she's been in labour for 12 hours and the labour's quite complex. Phyllis does his internal examination and the baby is, I'm assuming, is in like an upside down position with the chin up. So he's yeah. basically very elongated on the birth canal. So it it wouldn't be possible to deliver at that angle because they need to have their chin down. They can come out like a little bullet. Um, so Phyllis, <laughs> Phyllis then says uh, they're going to have to go to hospital. Mrs. Cottingham's going to have to go to hospital to have an emergency C-section. So that Barbara goes off to ring the hospital. Linda and Ian are officially engaged. Hey! They see um, they show Trixie because she's in the street again. Trixie appears to be doing a lot of rounds around their house, which also is very near to Tom's. Um, and they kind of show it off to Trixie and Trixie looks at the ring and Tom's in the background and she goes, you have found a man that will put you first and care about you. And that's a rare thing. And it's like, oh, you two, I think you just need to hate fuck each other and get over it. I think life would have been happier. I think they just need to get out of their systems. Some breakup sex would have done the world a good, really, wouldn't it? I mean, he's a priest. Would he not be able to find a condom? I I don't know. Is it like spiritually exempt? Or I don't. I don't know. I don't know what Anglican priests do. And I don't I've think ne- any I've of us are going to find out. One. I've never slept with one. It's not. It's not impossible. Just unlikely. Um, so the scene after that. Um, Mrs. Cottingham is at hospital and she's about to, she's having her baby. Um, She's asking the midwife what's going to happen next. And the midwife is quite abrupt with her. She's like, you're going to deliver the baby. Julianne, she sees Julianne is like, oh, thank God you're here. And Julianne's supporting her during the birth. And at one point, the doctor who's like obviously doing internal examination from the bot, from the, you know, the game end of the pitch. And he says to the um, hospital midwife, can you just check the fetal heartbeat just to make sure everything is all right? And this midwife, with her manual ear thing, which she sticks on so she can listen to the baby's heartbeat, goes, baby's heartbeat is 80, 70, 60. I'm like, how are you taking this child's, how are you doing this? Because They needed to speed it up for the edit. I know they had to speed up for the edit, but it is so not how that works. Like you technically, if you're doing it by textbook, you have to listen for a whole minute. I mean, even if she was doing the 15 minutes times it by four thing, you still can't go. The blood pressure is 80, 70, 60 and dropping, doctor. Charlie, like, it was to create drama. I know, but it's such bollocks. I watched it and I was like. All drama's bollocks. So if anyone's out there and they're about to have a baby and they're like, is this how they're going to work out the pulse? No, that is not how they work out a pulse. It's just not how it's done. And I find it very annoying that they do it that way. That That's not how it works. You have to listen for a longer period than like five seconds. Yes. 
It was, and she didn't even talk about the quality of the beat. Was it, was it fast? Was it slow? Was there a good, was it a rhythmic? What was going on? None of that. Nope. Um, so the next scene, Ian and Linda's engagement party at the pub, which I think again is, are they not on the set for Val's auntie's pub? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. But Val's not there yet. She's still, she's still in the army. She's, uh, she's not turned up. Um, and Tom and Trixie are both at the party, because of course they are. Um, Tom has given <laughs> an orange juice and um, he sees Trixie and Trixie is standing at the bar holding a baby sham. And do you think Trixie was going to drink it? I think she'd be tempted. I think she was very tempted. All alcoholics are tempted when you put a drink in their hand, regardless of who they are. I just, I think she was a bit shaken because emotionally she was very focused on Tom in this episode and I think it was Mm. affecting her sobriety. Yes. Um, But Trixie also sort of asks for help because she says, you know, they gave me a baby sham even though I'm on duty. And And he deals with it so well. He's so gentle. He's Mm. like... And also I think this is one of those scenes where I don't think the two actors were together when Tom and Trixie were actually going out. I think they were quite new, but I think they're in a, in real life, they were quite a long standing couple by this point, weren't they? No. Well, they're not. Well, not unless their timeline that they told us in public is wrong. Cause they have a lot more chemistry in this scene than they ever did in any of their previous scenes. Okay. They, they've apparently got together in the Africa Christmas special. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that this Christmas special? Yeah, the end of this series. So they got together, but there could have been a few feelings. I don't know. Yeah, but she was married to somebody else. Was she? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oliver Boot. Okay. I might have made that name up. It sounds a little bit comical. It sounds a little bit Charles Dickens, but I believe it's true. Hmm. So the scene after this, um, Mrs. Cottingham's baby is being delivered by C-section. They say that her blood pressure is 80 over 40. Okay, fair enough. Um, She's looking very good for a woman whose blood pressure is 80 over 40. What's her oxygen stat? Baby is seriously deformed (laughs) when they pull the... Seriously, someone whose blood pressure is that low. Like, what's her pulse? Why don't you get the woman who just counts pulses at a guess? Um, she just maybe. feels the pulse. She just knows. She just, she just knows, knows by looking at it. She just knows. She's so experienced. <laughs> Such bollocks. Um, so the baby is um, obviously delivered, and it is, it's another Rhoda Mullock's baby. Um, the baby has no limbs. Um, it is, it does, it, does it cry? Yes. So it's alive. Oh. It cries eventually. I can't remember if it cries in the scene. Mm. But they also they keep mentioning the fact that it doesn't have genitals. Um, they mention it quite a lot, don't they? Like you can't even tell if it's a boy or a girl. Well, that's because oh, she was so focused. Do we need to open the question on gender? Well, my finger slipped. No. What? Um. They. <laughs> She's been so focused on um, having a girl, hasn't she, because of all the boys? Yeah. And that's why she wants a girl, because of all the boys. 
Yeah, and I get that, but like it's weird that all the professionals are like the baby didn't even have genitals, therefore it doesn't deserve to live. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is such like there's so many ethical things with this. Um, then the doctor goes, oh god, not another one, and this one's alive. Someone take it away. And this random extra picks the baby up and just walks away with it. And they go, right, we need to focus only on the mother. It's bad, isn't it? I just feel like there's a lot of ethical bits that they, I mean, we'll talk about the ethics. Um, so the next scene after that is the engagement party and the father-in-law-to-be, Linda's dad, he um, explains how, you know, he has pulled some strings and managed to get Ian a job at the paint factory. Woo-hoo! And then they give him some overalls. And everyone's like, Way, he's going to work in the paint factory for the rest of his life. Wow, Way! what an achievement. And that's nothing to say there's anything wrong with working in a factory. But it's weird because everybody knows that he really wanted to go to university. So it's such a like, slap in the face, isn't it? Like, if someone had been like, I really want to work in the paint factory, but they haven't got any jobs and I really want to work there. Like, I could see why they cheered. But literally everyone who's there knows that he's like... This is a shotgun wedding. Well, it's expectation <laughs> management, isn't it? Everybody else thinks, well, it's good enough for me. It'll be good enough for him. He's done well. But he he thinks that he's worth more. Mm. And I think that's what it comes down to as well with his character. He thinks he's better than the people around him. Yes, he does. And that's why he kind because of... Because he can the quote the opening lines of Henry V. He's better than us all. And a couple of lines of Lady of Shalott. So in the next scene, Julienne goes to look for the baby and she goes to the nursery where all the babies are kind of put in their boxes and all of that stuff. And she says, you know, I'm looking for the baby that was delivered uh, to Mrs. Cullingham. And I'm just wondering, you know, I want to check on it. And um, the midwife who's in charge sort of says, oh, we've only had two babies brought in. Neither of them are the baby that you're talking about. We've not had any records. So, they haven't even recorded this baby. It's bad, um, isn't it? And so Julianne comes out, looks a bit confused. And then on the door of the sluice, which if anyone knows what the sluice is, the sluice is basically where you put waste material. So if someone's vomited, if somebody's emptied their bowels or done a urine sample, you would tip it down a special sink, which has a filter on it. So the room tends to whiff a bit. Um, and it tends to have cleaning supplies and things like that. Most clinics will have a sluice. It's also where you put like excess fluids and just just general waste material. And also there's a sink usually where you can wash your hands. Um, and the child has been put in front of the window, which been, has been opened. And they've left the child lying on top of a blanket, not covered. And they've basically just abandoned this child to die. Hmm. It's very sad. I mean, it's very emotional. It is very emotional, but it's also like, I I mean... But they probably think it's a kindness in their strange brains. I, okay. I mean, ignoring the disability, like the clear idea that if someone doesn't, if someone has like limbs missing or if there's a deformity, they're somehow less and less deserving of care, which is really wrong. Yeah, it is really wrong. But 
they've left this child to die and they ha- no one's in the room. Well, they don't like, care. It's not that... Ugh, I don't know. I mean, <sighs> if you're going to make this decision... Firstly, this child has a mother yeah. and she should absolutely be in, involved in the decision-making about the care that this child receives. And if a parent isn't available because obviously she's out you know she has a husband so why haven't they contacted the husband and if the husband well, he's, he's overseas isn't he he's he's on a merchant ship but if I, the husband's out of contact they're basically making a best interest decision to let this child die yeah they but, are. like and julian says you haven't offered it pain relief you haven't given this child any kind of morphine or any pain relief because you don't they've literally just gone well we'll dump it and they keep calling the child it as well well Um, yeah but that's because they don't recognize any sexual outward organs that's why they're calling it it i mean that's that's to emphasize that point of being other and not human but Mm. sexual organs aside which doesn't it just it feels so cold oh it's it's horrendous it's so awful to do i don't know how anyone in a caring profession could literally go dump a baby it, by an open window and leave them to die and then leave the room but they're rationalizing it in their own minds that let's hasten this this baby's going to die they believe that baby will not live so in their minds they're hastening that baby's departure by doing what they're doing and in their mind they're justifying that as being the kindness um i i i, I, I can't um I can't fathom it. It just seems awful to me to do that. It's probably, I mean, there's a few times, and I like Call the Midwife because it does make us question things like this, but I can't really. I mean, Julianne walks in and immediately is like, no, oh, no, 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 this can't happen. And she picks the baby up and she she starts saying prayers over it and she cuddles it. And you, every creature in in life and i'm not talking about reptiles here because i don't think alligators and snakes count but any kind of mammal really is a convivial creature like humans apes elephants all of us need other people people are what make us like human contact is really important for other humans like you know you talk about people who are touch starved and actually they really just want physical affection and shit like that i just can't understand how you would leave a bit just abandon a child i i don't understand either uh, that midwife should be sacked she should be struck off it's so wrong (laughs) so wrong i just watched this and i was like who the fuck made this clinical decision it just um so julian's holding the baby and the midwife comes in and says just you know there's no hope it's gonna die anyway so you may as well just let it happen and um julian is very polite to her and says you know you know anybody can um baptize a child so that's what i'm gonna do now and then the baby dies yeah and then this midwife is like right so you can tell the mum Next scene, Ian's hiding in the bathroom because he's sad that he's got to get married. Um, Tom finds him and mm. he said, and Tom explains that he was a soldier. I didn't realise Tom was a soldier. Well, he would have done national service, wouldn't he, at that era? Yeah. Explains the haircut. Mm. And, um, and, Tom, and 
Ian basically says that he doesn't love Linda more than anything else. Yeah, I didn't get this. I feel like he like he was basically saying like he loves the po- the prospect of his future and going to university. He doesn't put her before his other wants. Yeah, which is contrast to later on, doesn't it, in the episode? Yeah, so which one is honest? I feel like this is probably the more honest one. And Tom's like, you know, sometimes not, you know, sometimes that's, you know, he basically says, I love her just enough. And Tom says, well, sometimes just enough is is the right amount. Which feels a bit like they both know he doesn't want to do it. But Tom say like trying to encourage him to do the right thing. Or it's saying, actually, the ideal of love that you've got from your poetry is is just an ideal. It's people's ultimate expectation of what love is and what um the life of love is and actually mate you need to really be a bit more realistic and love is much more about finding someone that you're reasonably compatible with that you want to be with that you actually enjoy having sex with and you're going to make it work yeah i think his because of the nature of his background and where he's coming from with all his poetry his shakespeare he's got a version of love that perhaps is not very practical in real life. And also I see his character as someone who's quite airy fairy. Like I didn't necessarily believe that although obviously it ends the way it does, I couldn't see the relationship lasting. Yeah, I couldn't see it. I can't see it lasting even now. No. Like he's gonna yeah, we'll get to that. Um He's gonna be banging some bitches at uni. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, so Julian returns to an artist where Cynthia and Monica Jonah are in chapel. Um, she, Julian explains kind of what happens and they comfort her. And she says, you know, in the morning she has to go back to the hospital and talk to the mother about how this child died. And she's not sure whether to tell her the truth or lie to her. <coughs> and, um, you know, they say, you know, what's kind, you know, is, is there, is it kind to be honest? And I do think this is one of those situations where it is kinder to lie. You you just don't know, though, do you? No. And it's a risk. It is a risk because saying that she lost the daughter that she's been longing for for however long might tip her over. It might. Or or it might give her comfort. You just don't know. And you can't anticipate how she's going to receive that information. And also if she ever seeks any like actual if she ever wants to get the notes for this. She she's gonna know to, yeah she's gonna know so she'll know that she was lied to yeah so is it better to perceive that you're bringing comfort from a lie that might actually go wrong and come back to haunt you if this woman then decides to top herself because she's lost the only daughter she ever wanted um or is it better to tell the truth and say actually we don't know it could have been it might not have been we don't know who knows? And you're never going to know whether the lie is going to bring the comfort or more sorrow. So I don't see the benefit of lying. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. 
So the next scene uh, is Ian's first day at the factory and his mum's made him a packed lunch. After that, Julian tells Doctor stops at the clinic and tells Dr. Turner and Sheila what happened. Um, and they all ponder about what's happening and why. Um, they they sort of speculate that it must be a local phenomenon. If there's been three babies that have had it, one child that has managed to survive at the hospital and they've been sent off to long term care. And obviously you have the Rhoda Mullocks' baby. So that's four separate babies, all with this particular ailment that's going on. So they think it might be something to do with Poplar. But what's interesting is the German companies knew about this in the 40s. Yeah. So there were cases in Germany. It was just obviously at that time uh, there wasn't email, there wasn't Google. You couldn't just go, you know, what's going on with this medication, things like that. It's all being kept under the swept under the rug. So the pharmacy that was supplying these knew that this was something that was happening because they had taken, they had purchased it from Germany and they would have seen the information. So, mm, yeah, it's a bit of, it, it was a big scandal, wasn't it? Oh, it's massive, massive. I've got a whole book on it. I've have not you? read it. Yeah, I keep meaning to read it. I'm going to read it before we do the next podcast. Okay. Seen after this, Ian's standing outside the factory, but he can't bear to go inside. Um, after that, Linda is going for her first ever checkup at the community centre. Um, Trixie looks after her. And when she takes off her knickers, there's blotches of blood in her knickers. Um, Trixie then tells her, asks her, you know, have you been bleeding? And she says, oh, a few times, but, you know, a bit of spotted at the start. Um, Trixie says, well, actually, you're bleeding quite heavily now. So I think as a viewer, we all know that this signals that she's having some sort of miscarriage. Yeah. Um, after this, Julianne goes to see Miss Cottingham and they talk about and they also say that her name's Ruby because they did that thing again where they don't tell you the actress's like the character's name until she's given birth. Every episode they do this. Why? Um, so Mrs. Cottingham's actually called Ruby and Julianne tells her that her baby died and she tells her she sort of she's not lying. She's sort of soft lying because she says, you know, the baby died in my arms and, you know, she knew that she was safe and she was loved. What she doesn't tell her is that the hospital left her to die naked next to an open window in a sluice. She doesn't lie at this point. You know exactly the point where Judy then thinks she's lying. You see it written on Jenny Agatha's Jenny face. All yeah, over. she lies when um, Ruby asks her if it was a little girl. Yeah. And Julian says, yes. And I mean, technically, she might not be lying because she could well have been genetically female. It's just she didn't have the bits and bobs that could maybe. Well, she didn't know. So she was lying. She didn't know categorically. She's gambling, isn't she? She is gambling. She's She's having a punt. She is. Hedging a bet. It's a 50-50 choice. Well, no, it's not anymore, though, is it? No. But I suppose, like, in that scenario, the alternative answer is we couldn't tell because your child was so deformed. It it was a head and a body. Which would probably be a bit harder to tell someone who's just found out their baby's died. Yeah, but we know the impact of this on Mrs Cottingham later. Yeah. We know that this has sent her absolutely off the edge. mm so is it the knowledge that her, is it the fact that she's had a child that's died that sent her off the edge? Or is it the fact that she's had a daughter that sent her off the edge that's died? 
I don't know. I don't think there's any in these situations. There's never a perfect answer. I think there's a way to be kind, but you can never know for certain. No, true. You can't play God. Well, no, you can't. But, but yeah. Um, in the next scene, Linda is miscarrying in the toilet. And Trixie's kind of talking her through the process through the toilet door. Like, you know, and Linda says something like, oh, it's coming away. And Trixie says, well, um, whatever you do, don't flush the toilet because I need to check. Because obviously she needs to check the growth of the fetus to see what stage she was at. Um, I, In some ways, obviously, this is a really bad scene. Like, it's a really hard scene to watch. However miscarriage is still one of those topics which people don't talk about very often mm-hmm. and it, it's actually very very common it is but it's common at lots of stages as well yeah it's not just common at early stages and i think what we're seeing here is two different mothers dealing with the death of two children at different stages mm-hmm. and that's quite interesting the way that they're dealing with it it's <sighs> You've carried something to term, child, girl, boy, we don't know, and it's passed away, unfortunately. And then you've got um, a miscarriage probably very early on. And eight weeks later. I think they say eight weeks later on. Yeah, eight weeks. And it's how the two differences affect someone. Mm. Um it's quite interesting that they've ju- it's quite interesting that they've run those two storylines together. Yeah. I can it's just but I just stuff like this happens every day. Mm. People have miscarriages every day. You know, I've had quite a few friends that have had miscarriages, early, some early and some actually quite close to the end. Yeah. Um and I had a friend and she actually lost three babies, um, one after the other. She's she's now had a baby um, and her baby's beautiful and healthy and wonderful. But we were talking about it and she said, you know, it's it's the subject that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody knows what to say. Nobody really has an answer. And it's not a perfect, it's grief, isn't it? But it's kind of expected that mothers of miscarriages won't discuss that grief and it kind of happens behind closed doors and well, you know, you're not pregnant, you need to move on. And it's a really hard thing. So in some ways, I like that's not the focus of this episode, but it's powerful just to think that they did this on the BBC and it had such a huge following. And this would have touched people who've had miscarriages. And mm. it, it's just really important to destigmatize it as well, because I think some people who have miscarriages, they carry a lot of guilt thinking that you know they did something wrong and actually miscarriages are very common yeah and sometimes it's the body's natural way of you know maybe something didn't attach right maybe something was going on and it or maybe the mother was in danger there's lots of reasons why miscarriages happen and it I just I don't know I don't know where I'm really going with this but I just it was an important scene yeah, that I doesn't agree. get a lot of discussion, and even in yeah. Call the Midwife, which is a midwifery show, you don't see a lot of miscarriages. Mhm. So. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, 
Next scene, Tom is told that Ian never showed up to work by Linda's dad. So he runs to the flat and he smells gas. Um, Ian's mum and Linda are arriving back at the flat with Trixie because Trixie's come with them. And the mum's like, what are you doing? And she says, I smell gas. So they run in and Ian's tried to kill himself with the gas in the oven. Um, Trixie and Tom work together to bring him back to life. So they pick him up and they he vomits and they're like, he's alive. Um, <laughs> I feel really bad for Linda in this scene because she's just had a miscarriage and she's come back and to this. And, then and he would rather him. kill himself than be with her. The be with her and their child. Yeah. Probably quite a low day in Linda's mental state. I would have, really. Yeah, and we don't focus on Linda at all. His, he is the main focus, him and yeah. his worries. And I'm like, and I, don't just like have a and I don't give a shit about him, frankly. I'm just, obviously, like, suicide is a terrible thing. And it happens a lot. And yeah, like, he clearly needs his moment to have a conversation. But also, I feel bad for this woman because yeah. she's just expected to just carry on. Like, they don't even really talk about the miscarriage again. Um, so in the next scene, Dr. Turner and Sheila are talking through the baby cases and they're looking for something special. They're looking for a link that all all the women who had um, these children with deformities might have had. And he's saying, you know, there isn't really anything. It's just regular adult medication. And they touch on it. They keep touching on it just a little bit. And then they glide over it because they don't have it but they're trying to find what the link is. Yeah. So Tom and Trixie are then discussing, um, they come back and Tom and Trixie are discussing the broken engagement. And Tom is quite angry that he's like, well, you know, Linda's not pregnant anymore, but but poor Ian could get in trouble if he walks away. He could be sued for breach of promise breach of promise if he breaks up you know there's no it's not fair you know it's so hard on poor ian he now does you know what's the point in marrying this woman she's he hasn't got to anymore and i'm a bit like she's just had a miscarriage yeah like what like i understand why tom is maybe more sympathetic towards ian but this woman didn't do anything wrong nope i don't think she purposely trapped him nope she thought he loved her. Yeah. She loved him. And he didn't, really. Um, nope. He just spun her a line so he could come inside her. Yeah. So Tom and Trixie discuss their broken engagement, and they finally talk about the elephant in the room, and they both voice the things that things have changed, and they have changed. And Tom basically tells them they need to stop holding on to each other because it's affecting his life. That Barbara won't go out with him and it's all Trixie's fault because he's made her feel guilty hmm. my word heterosexuals it's it's interesting looking in <laughs> yeah no wonder they're all so fucking miserable so it, <laughs> it is Sam just said it's all about the men's it is men are so important um, next scene, Dr. Turner finds an article on children with malformed limbs that's become a new speciality, which is maybe an indication that actually across the country, there's a lot more children that are being born with deformities and they're now having to create specialists to kind of manage the influx. Mm. Um, Sheila and Dr. Turner, they cuddle up and Sheila says, this is why I fell in love with you sitting there 
frowning in the middle of the night when we should be asleep, worrying over your patience. That's why I fell in love with you. And I was like, oh, she's just such a suburban housewife. What happened to Sister Bernadette? What happened to Sheila? Yeah. What happened to her? Um, the next scene, Linda is being checked out on by Trixie. And um, Linda says, would you mind terribly if um, you checked in on poor Ian? Because we heard him crying and sobbing in the night. <laughs> Linda was fine, by the way. She had a miscarriage, but she's all right. She's she's walked it off. Um Ian then comes in in his overalls. Let me just point out, he never did a shift in the paint factory. But he comes in very symbolically and says, I'm going to go and do a shift at the paint factory. (laughs) And she goes, no, no, Ian, take the ring back. You don't have to marry me now. And, And Ian's like, oh, but, you know, I made all those promises. But he doesn't really fight it, does it? And she takes off the ring and he's like, well, okay then. And then the mum picks up the ring and puts it on the mantle and goes, go and get your degree and then come back and marry her after you've done your degree. <laughs> and I don't, there is no way, like, he is going to fuck so many bitches in university. And he's like, there is not a chance. Nope. Not a chance. And, like, it's almost kind of inferred because, you know, he's like, well, I have to stay and look after you, mum. And Linda's like, don't worry about your mum. Oh, so is Linda also going to look after your mother for you? Yep. Oh, it's going to be awful, isn't it, when she realises. Don't worry, Ian. You don't have to take any responsibilities whatsoever. You can just go off and read your poetry and probably get some other girl pregnant and not take responsibility for that. Yes. (laughs) Probably. There is not one single chance that in three years they'll get married. No. Nope. Nope. It doesn't she love needs, her. She needs to go down to that pain factory and find a really good, solid working man who's dependable because that's what she needs. Yeah, that's what she wants. Yeah. But she fell in love with a poet. Uh, haven't we all? Oh. Didn't work out then. Won't work out now. <laughs> um. So next scene, Trixie is cycling home and she's like pensive. She's thinking things through. Barbara's in her room with Phyllis making apostles out of fuzzy felt. (laughs) I feel like they purposely put lots of like little tongue twisters in just for a bit of humour. I feel like they put a lot of Christian tongue twisters in just for Barbara and Tom. Um, Trixie comes in and she says, can I talk to you, Barbara? And Phyllis is like, well, I'm off. Um, so they sit in the room. Barbara apologises for lying and she says, I never did have a cousin. You know, I am going out with Tom. And Trixie goes, you know, you're such a good girl. You're such a good girl, Barbara. And Barbara's like, what if I'm not a good girl? What if inside I'm thinking some very sharp worded things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ooh, Barbara. Barbara. Come on, then. Terrifying. I'm sure is you'll it, cut is it her citrus? With is, that what, is that the sharp things you're thinking of? Um, Trixie basically gives Barbara her blessing and says she won't stand between the two of them anymore right Trixie really wasn't standing in between them I think if they'd just been honest at the beginning Trixie would have got the hump but she'd have got over it Mm -hmm. 
but also Tom should have had a word with Trixie. I think, yeah, there's, it's just a lack of communication, isn't it, at the end of the day? Which, to be honest, if you want to create angst, just don't let your characters talk. That usually causes a lot of angst. Communication. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uh, Seeing after this, it's Sister Hildegard's special moment. So a picture's been slung up at the front of the chapel. They're all there. And then Cynthia does this speech about how hard the Nanartans work and, you know, God will hold them in. God hugs you. And she's speaking very much to Julianne, which, again, is one of those moments where I feel like they're really trying to show that these two are very close. Mm -hmm. But they're not really. I feel it's very forced. Oh, yeah, they're not close at all. Mm -mm. No. It's almost like a new starter who's very clingy with management. <laughs> yeah. Because they want to, you know, they want to impress. And the management's a bit like, okay, don't really know what to do about this. So I'm just going to smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Um, And then the final scene, Ian's getting ready to go. Um, So he's got his, like, gown on. And he's being watched by Linda and his mum, who are ecstatic to see him achieve all his dreams while they remain in Poplar, doing the hard work so he can do it. Um, Barbara goes out on a date with Tom. And on the way out, Trixie fixes her bracelet. And then the final scene is like someone dumping a cardboard coffin on a trolley that says Baby Cottingham. Yeah. Which is a bit of a brutal last image, really. Yeah, massively. Um, and that's the uh, episode. Oh, it's a bit harsh, really. It wasn't it wasn't the nicest of episodes. Not a lot of laughs in that episode, was there? No. So we hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, yeah, more guys. P and D next Merry time. Christmas. Yeah, there should definitely be more Patsy and Delia. Yeah. Yeah. We need it. We need it. Oh, I just feel a bit. I feel a little bit, I don't know, low after that. Yeah. It's not the most uplifting. Quick, think of something uplifting to say. Push-up bras. Push-up, no? Wonder bras. Yeah. Sorry. Boobs right. in general. Wow. Tough crowd. Tough crowd. Sam's going <laughs> mental. Is this microphone even on? Hello. Hello. Is this me? Is that Is you? <laughs> Is it me you're looking for? Is it me you're looking for? Um see it in your eyes. Alright guys, well that was the end of the episode. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um and Merry Christmas. We hope to see you probably in the probably New Year. We've been going a year, people. Yeah, we've done this for a whole year. Woo! We're a year old. Are you not bored of us yet? I'm no, bored of me. No, they're not bored of us. No, they're I'm not. I'm bored of me. Ignore her. She's a pessimist. Yes, I am. All right, then, guys. We're going to go. Bye. Bye.